Hi everyone, welcome to our next episode. Today we'll be um, talking about breast cancers. So we'll talk through some of the benign tumors that you might come to see. We'll also talk about some of the more the neoplastic or malignant tumors as well. Um, so yeah, so stay tuned. There's going to be some really interesting uh, points to cover. And I guess we'll finish up by talking about screening and also uh, diagnosis of um, various types of breast yes. cancers. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right. So do you want to kick us off, Andy? Let's broadly give an overview of what we're going to talk about. So we're, so we're going to talk about breast cancers and you're going yes. to have malignant and benign lesions. Yes. In terms of benign lesions, what do you have? So you've got fibroadenomas, you've got intraductal papillomas, yep. and you can have ductal hyperplasia. Yeah. That could occur, right? Absolutely right. And then in terms of malignant types, we're going to talk about, we're going to have the non-invasive, mm-hmm. which is your ductal carcinomas in situ. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have lobular carcinomas in situ, which are also non-invasive. Yes. And then the invasive counterparts are obviously invasive ductal carcinomas, invasive yes. lobular carcinomas, mm-hmm. inflammatory breast cancers, and there are other types as well, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Before we talk about breast cancers, I think we should just give a brief overview of the lymphatic draining and some of the structures as well. Sure. Do you want to maybe talk about the lymphatics? So before actually, even before the lymphatics, so with the breast on each side, it can be divided into four quadrants, right? Yes, so that's on right. The, um, on the upper half, they would be called the upper quadrants, lower half, they would be called the lower quadrants, yes. and it's split into basically upper, outer quadrants. Quadrant, upper inner quadrant, lower outer, lower inner. Yeah. Yes. The four so quadrants. the outer quadrants are referring to the lateral aspects of the breast. Yes. And then the inner quadrants are, mm-hmm. are more midline, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so now what about the lymphatics? So the lymphatics wise, you've got, I believe they're the axillary lymph nodes, right? Mm. That um, And they can have certain different levels of lymphatics, uh, level one, two, and three, depending on the location of the pec minor muscle. Yes. Um, level one are more more lateral, whereas um, level three are more towards the central midline. Yes. And um, if you're on the outer quadrants of the, um, of the breast drain into the axillary lymph yes. nodes, whereas the inner quadrants which which lymph nodes do they i think they they join into the internal thoracic now there's a reason why we mention lymph nodes don't we so if you've got a midline sort of breast mass or in the uh, inner quadrants Mm -hmm. and that drains into the internal thoracic Mm -hmm. internal thoracic lymph nodes also communicate with the breast on the the um, contralateral breast as well okay so the opposite side so there's a risk of if there is metastases a midline breast cancer can then go into the internal thoracic and then go and uh, invade into the um, adjacent breast yeah and so that's why it's, it's worth mentioning that yes and also it's clinically relevant because when you're performing a um, exam with the lymph nodes you're also examining for the auxiliary lymph nodes as well as the supraclavicular uh, and so forth mm. so now that we've got the lymph nodes and a, a bit of the structure out of the way let's talk about um some of the benign lesions that we mentioned. Yeah. So we mentioned the uh, one example of a benign lesion is fibrocystic. What is that all, all about? So a fibrocystic um, change in that causes a benign breast tumor is essentially the development of fibrosis as well as cysts within the breast. Yes. And so this can commonly occur in changes premenstrual. Um, so this, this means that it could be hormone mediated. Yeah. So estrogen and, and progesterone probably more more estrogen probably than than estrogen. Uh, <laughs> sorry, than progesterone. Yeah. And it kind of presents with this sort of vague irregularity of the breast tissue, um, okay. particularly in the upper quadrant lesion. We should also mention that majority of the breast cancers occur in the upper quadrant lesion. And uh, there's a number of theories, but I think the one that really um, I, that I can fully appreciate is the fact that you have more breast tissues in the upper quadrant. Mm-hmm. So it's more likely why you tend to see more breast cancers in that 
region compared okay. to midline, uh, for example. Sure. All right. In terms of these fibrocytic lesions, is it true that they can possibly be associated with increased risk of invasive carcinomas? Yeah, that's, that certainly is the case. And um, this risk applies to both sides of the breasts as well. Yeah. So they, they can cause fibrosis, uh, cysts, as well as um, other types of metaplasia mm. as well. However, those ones don't have really an increased risk. Yeah, exactly. It's only when you get sort of ductal hyperplasia and um, sclerizing adenosis or atypical hyperplasia, that's when you start developing this increased risk of developing these breast transformation of these sort of cysts into into breast cancers. Mm -hmm. So another example of a benign lesion would be the intraductal papilloma. So papilloma means like finger-like projections, don't they? So what's that all about then? These are essentially papillary growths that appear in the breast that, um, that usually go into the large ducts and there's two types one is a central type and one's a peripheral type so the fingers project into the larger ducts of the breast don't they mm. okay all right yeah. so with the central type it would develop around the nipple is usually a solitary um, tumor that could arise in in periods near menopause mm. whereas with peripheral types they they form multiple papillomas and they can arise at the peripheral mm, sides of the breast. That's right. And they are found in younger women typically. Exactly. And I think the peripheral ones are associated with an increased risk of malignancy as well. Okay. The, or the peripheral type is associated with increased risk. But yeah. interestingly, the central type mm-hmm. can present with nipple discharge, particularly blood, uh, bloody discharges, which okay. is obviously very scary when you see something like that. Huh. Overall, these yep. sort of um, intraductal papillomas are characterized by a fibrovascular projection. So fibrous, that has a bit of vascular, and it's yep. papilloma, so it's kind of finger-like projections. Yes. And these finger-like projections are lined by epithelial cells, and there might be some myoepithelial cells as well. Yes. But I guess it needs to be stated that none of these have broken through the um, the basement membrane, so they haven't invaded, and that's why these guys are benign. So what's our last uh, example of um, a benign lesion? The last one we're going to talk about today is the fibroadenoma. These are tumors that involve fibrous tissue as well as gland-forming. Yes. Uh, gland-forming, yeah. This is the most common benign neoplasm of the breast, and it is usually seen in uh, premenopausal women. Mm. Yeah. What, what would the mass look like or I think, feel like? Yeah, yeah I think it's, uh, it's generally well circumscribed, um, mm-hmm. but it's not a attached to any underlying tissue because then that suggests that there might be some invasion okay right? so it's it's a sort of a, a marble appearing very mobile type of mass okay um, and it's well circumcised and it's estrogen sensitive so let's say um during the um menstrual cycle where your estrogen changes um that the levels change yeah then it can be responsive to it but oh. also um especially important during pregnancy as well because you're there are hormonal changes that occur. So as well. it, it grows and shrinks in size. Yeah, to, uh, depending is, on the phase of the cycle. Yeah, right? which is really interesting. Wow. But it is completely benign, and there's no increased risk of carcinomas. Um, okay. But the pain and discomfort may warrant further um, investigations. So and fibroadenoma. Okay, yeah, good. Um, so let's talk about more of the invasive breast cancers but before we do that let's cover some of the risk factors and i think majority of risk factors relate to estrogen exposure in my um to my understanding yeah but let's go through it what's the obvious risk factor uh gender yeah. i would say was the one nine out, out of 100 people who get it 99 of them are female and so you've got the odd man in there one yeah. one out of 100 and we mentioned that bracket 2 gene is more associated with breast cancers in men so keep yes. that in mind if you're not sure listen to our family or neoplasial um, lectures yes and what age do you tend to see this about 80 percent of the um, breast cancers present in in people older than 40 years old mm. what so yeah i could guess you could call that adult um, well it's middle age, kind of, middle age yeah around, around yeah. as you're 
heading towards menopause. Mm. And, and obesity is a risk factor as well. I think obesity, because your adipose tissues can produce estrogen as well. So mm. you have other sources of estrogen. Interesting. And adipose tissues are a common source of estrogen, yep. um, including some uh, muscles as well. But we'll talk about that, um, I think, in a future episode. Okay. Um, what else, Andy? Uh, prior histories of breast cancers are, or prior breast biopsies, apparently, are a risk factor. Mm. So, irregardless to the pathology of the the breast pathology, uh, breast biopsy. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So, if you had a prior history that suggests that something unusual might be going on, mm. also a first degree relative is a risk factor. Mm-hmm. And if you have um, high breast tissue density, mm-hmm. which means that you obviously have more breast tissue, so there's mm. naturally a, a possible increased risk of breast cancer. If if you're nulliparity, which means if you haven't had any children, so that means that your estrogen exposure throughout your lifetime would be much higher than mm-hmm. someone who would have had a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Or if your pregnancy is uh, later in life, so when it's when you're age greater than 30, there's an increased risk of um, huh. breast cancers. Okay. What can reduce your risk factors, though? Uh, with lactations, early menopause, or early childbirth, all decrease the amount of estrogen exposure, so mm-hmm. consequently mm-hmm. also um, reduce the risk of breast cancers. Absolutely right. Um, yeah, and uh, if your period, if you're a female and, you, and your uh, age of menarche was less than 12, or if you have a, a delayed menopause, again, that increases your estrogen exposure and thereby your increased risk of developing breast cancer. Radiation exposure is really interesting because, mm-hmm. so we mentioned in our lymphoma lectures that Hodgkin's can occur in, in young patients. Yes. And if you're a female patient who has had had to undergo radiotherapy, mm-hmm. let's say in your supraclavicular lymph node close to the breast tissue, yes. then... There's a possible risk of breast cancers in the future oh. when you're heading towards menopause. Interesting. Um, do HRTs cause breast cancers? Yes, and the hormone HRT stands for the hormone replacement therapy, mm. and consequently, like it, it is supplementing the um, female patient with levels of estrogen and progesterone hormones. Yeah. Um, so, th- I guess that that increase in exposure could consequently lead to an increased rate of breast cancers. Absolutely right. Yeah. But interestingly, <coughs> oral contraceptive pill hasn't been associated with. Really? Uh, affecting the risk of cancer, which is really interesting as well. Oh. Uh, that's I thought that would that's increase the risk as well. Oh. Um, so, what are some of the types of um, invasive carcinomas? Well, uh, carcinomas in general for breast cancers can be either found in the ducts or the lobules, yes. and it's quite easy to remember the um, the terminology because you can either have a ductal carcinoma inside you or an invasive ductal carcinoma, and consequently as well, you could be a lobular carcinoma inside you going on into a invasive a lobular carcinoma. Yes. Yeah. yeah so exactly we'll, we'll right. go through one each each at a time. Yeah. yeah. So I guess before we go through that, every mm. time we mention inside you, we mean that it hasn't breached the basement membrane. Yes. So there is dysplasia and abnormality, but it hasn't mm. gone through the basement membrane uh, and, and invaded into the surrounding tissue. Yes. Um, so when we talk about inside you, that's what we're, we're meaning. But do you want to kick us off by talking about ductal carcinomas? So it's a malignant proliferation of cells found in the ducts but has not yet invaded past the basement membrane. So that's the ductal carcinoma in situ. With these guys, they the proliferation happens within the ducts and they can form calcifications usually from, um, I think, the cell necrosis yeah. um, that, that occurs. So when they do a mammography using the x-ray to, on the breast tissue, they can pick up these ductal carcinomas in situ as calcifications. Yeah. Um, but as you can picture it, well, as I'm picturing actually, with because since they're forming in the duct, you wouldn't really feel a palpable mass. Maybe it's either too small or something. Like Normally, that. but once it starts accumulating in the ducts, and you might start 
okay. without heating it. Yeah, okay. but it's not commonly. I mean, it can be quite small and not be able to be palpated, and that's why mammographies are useful because they can detect very small lesions. But the advantage of this is that there's got it's got calcifications, and calcium is more radio opaque than the surrounding yes, tissues. So it shines up like a beam. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, what are some of the histological subtypes, Andy? Um, so it could be a cometotype, uh, which uh, is characterized by the high-grade cells with necrosis. Yeah. Um, or it could be also a dystrophic, cal- uh, sorry, a dystrophic calcification in the center of the ducts. Yeah. There's lots of different carcinomas, and so and we mentioned that it can be quite heterogeneous. So there's you know we mentioned cometo that can be cribriform, it can be solid. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of other ones. You know, micro um, papillary, papillary mixed. Mm. So I wouldn't really memorize it you just need to appreciate the fact that there are lots of different types was this the cometotype that had the more high chance of forming the calcifications yeah and i think because it has much more necrotic centers and it's a higher grade as well so it can be a little bit it can have this greater propensity for invasion Mm. Uh, is there anything else you want to add well with the um ductal carcinomas when they spread towards the nipple through Mm. the ducts it could lead to paget's disease right exactly yeah I, i was yeah, I was I was hoping you mentioned it. Yeah, so patches, and then you can get these abnormal <coughs> discharges from the nipple, and mm-hmm. that can be obviously quite concerning and warrants urgent okay. attention. Sure. So let's talk about the invasive form now. So now, what happens? So now these ductal cells have breached the um, the membrane. Yes. So once they've moved past the basement membrane, they've the they become invasive ductal carcinoma, mm-hmm. and it's probably one of the most common types of invasive carcinomas of the breasts which are uh, accounting for more than 80% of the cases. So yeah. the other 20% would be the uh, lobular and other types, which we might talk about. Um, so they would present as a mass that could be detected on physical examination or also by mammography. And the, so I think clinically you need to be around 2 centimeters to be able to actually palpate it. Mm. Oh, I think that's the minimum, unless you're a very experienced physician. I think 2 centimeters is, is like the threshold for uh, Yeah. And what about mammography? How large does it need to be for it to be detected? Uh, about uh, more than a centimeter at yeah. least. So they have to be fairly sizable, mm. I guess. But yeah, so advanced tumors of the invasive ducti- ductal carcinomas could result in dimpling of the skin or retraction of the nipple. And could you uh, picture or come up with an explanation of why that? Why yeah, that I think I do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I think the breast, obviously we haven't talked about the anatomy of the breast. And if you mm. guys need to look into it, um, yeah, I mean, any any good... Uh, anatomy reference textbook should have this the breast is divided into septas right and so Mm. there are limited spaces in which a tumor can grow Mm -hmm. and so if a tumor grows Mm. it can uh, it's compressed against the septas Mm -hmm. and it's then pushed down towards the pectoralis muscle and with it it can pull the skin the adjacent skin down with it okay um i think that's that's my general explanation yeah the the dimpling or the puckering effect is is like that it's Mm. not the most elegant explanation but if you look at the anatomy you kind of Mm. see what i'm talking about okay the other thing we mentioned that obviously this is a doctor the origins of these cells are ductal so if you do a histology examination you tend to these cells tend to form ducts very irregular ducts but the ducts are still evident so in those invaded tissue you can start seeing these Mm. abnormal um, ductal cells in terms of i guess biopsy and things like that Mm. how do we go uh, um what are some of the things that we can come to see there are i guess two types of invasive ductal carcinomas there's um a tubular type as well as a mucinous type and it all depends they all have very distinct um, histological appearances the tubular carcinoma as you mentioned they it's a ductal carcinoma they tend to form these well-found tubules but they lack this thing called a myoepithelial mm. cell and what that is is that 
myoepi- uh, usually in a normal tubule that's found uh, or a duct in the breast, you would have the ductal cells lining it, and yeah. you'll also have a layer of epithelial cells that have a slight muscle property called a myoepithelial cell. And mm-hmm. that I think, um, from my understanding, is that they contract and help the milk from being uh, squeezed up through the um, the ducts. But in the ductal carcinoma, you've got these. Um, the duct cells are, are the ones that are abnormal and they have grown past through the basement membrane and formed ducts. These ducts that are formed do not have the myoepithelial surrounding it. Mm. So that, that's where they become, that's where, how you can tell that these are abnormally formed uh, tubular carcinomas yeah. compared to normal ducts. Absolutely right, yeah. Um, what's the other type? Uh, I think the other type is mucinous carcinomas and they're characterized by having this abundant extracellular extracellular mucin around them because they secrete obviously mucus and so they look like these sort of cells that are floating in this big pool of um, of mucus Um, they are more commonly occurring uh, in older women so um, around the age of 70 and the prognosis seems to be good good with this uh, subtype that's good there are two other types as well that we need to mention so that's medullary carcinoma okay Um, what's that all about the medullary carcinoma um, is is usually characterized by large high-grade cells that are growing in in sheets mm. and they're typically associated with like lymphocytes and plasma cells what what else could you say about that? i think they tend to grow as a well circumscribed mass that can appear like the fibro um adenomas that we mentioned in and in, in a blind component of our talk yeah so it may be missed or it may be confused with fibro adenomas mm-hmm. um the prognosis, despite the fact that they're high grade, the prognosis still is relatively good. And there's an association with um, BRCA1 carriers as well. There's mm-hmm. one more that we should mention, and that's inflammatory carcinomas. What's that all about? So these are carcinomas that are um, that are in the dermal lymphatics mm-hmm. of the breast. And um, they, they typically present as inflamed and swollen breasts. So as the tumor cells kind of block the drainage of the lymphatics. That's right. So they, they, they don't, I don't think they have a discrete mass to be, to be found and could be possibly mistaken for acute mastitis. Yeah. Is that the, can, the, um, the cancer that can appear as a sort of orange peel breast? Is that what it is? I, I think it might be it. Um, yeah, I think I think it is actually. Yeah, I think this sort of breast cancer presents as uh, a sort of this really red inflamed breast. Okay. Maybe confused with mastitis or inflammation mm. of, of the breast um, ducts, but this is actually due to um, a cancer. Sure. Um, now let's talk about lobular carcinoma, which was in situ, which is the other subtype that we that we mentioned. So we mentioned carcinoma, ductal carcinoma, and mm. now we're talking about the lobular carcinomas. Yes. Um, so what's that all about? So with lobular carcinomas, uh, the the ductal carcinomas are found in the ducts of the um, of the breast, whereas further downstream of the ducts, you've got these terminal lobules, and that's where these um that's where these carcinomas are are found mm. in within yeah. those lobules. And as long as they haven't gone past the basement membrane, they're called the lobular carcinoma in situ. Um, these, on the other hand, they uh, they don't they rarely produce a mass, and uh, they also unfortunately don't produce calcification as well. So. Yeah. These are usually found incidentally rather than actively. Picked yeah. Up. So the prognosis for this might be um, 
much more could be worse because you're not detecting it on mammography because they're not calcified mm. so patients may present at a later stage oh, yeah. can you tell me why they're sort of diffuse in appearance yes so we've mentioned this before in a different disease but so these cells the lobular carcinomas inside you they they're characteristically lacking in e cadherin mm. the adhesion protein that links cells together yeah i think we mentioned e cadherins in our gastric cancers yes. um in the i think was it the um, just was it yeah no, not, not just, it was um, gastric cancers, diffuse and intest- yes. uh, intestinal subtypes. Yeah. Yes. Right. But yeah, so you can see it cadherins pops its head again in, in uh, lobular carcinomas. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do, you, um, how do you treat this? I think um, tamoxifen mm. itself could be a potential treatment that reduces the subsequent carcinoma formation. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess, close monitoring and following up yeah. just, to, just to see how it goes. If you guys don't know what tamoxifen is, don't worry, we're going to dedicate an entire podcast on the hormonal management of cancers, particularly with breast cancer. Sounds well-deserved. Yeah, but we'll, we'll, um, we'll just mention it for completeness. Mm. Um, and then, so, lobular carcinomas and such, do they transform into the more invasive? Of course they do. If they yeah. go past the basement membrane, they would, um, they would, um, they would become the invasive right. form. And seeing that they lack the e cadherin they actually form this particular characteristic and can you can you name what happens um yeah so um are you referring to um the fact that they grow in a sort of a single file yes. and i think some of these cells can exhibit these um ring singet ring which again we yes. kind of mentioned in the diffuse in the gastric cancer as yes, well we did, we did. so there seems to be this relation with e cadherin and this signet for uh, ring form morphology that you yes. um you come to see but yeah, so yeah, so your lobular carcinoma in such can then, once it's invading the basement membrane, becomes an invasive lobular carcinoma. Mm-hmm. Um, for the hereditary, hereditary causes, if, um, so bracket one and bracket two, please listen to our familial yep. neo, neoplasia talk um, a couple of episodes ago. Yes. Because um, that covers the bracket one gene in quite a lot more depth. Yes. Let's talk about screening, Andy, because this is really revolutionized, I guess, how we approach. Yes. And treat and the prognosis of, of breast cancer. So do you want to talk about the various sort of screening approaches? Yeah. So for someone of an average or only slightly higher risk category. Actually, we should mention this yes. screening is, is Australian guidelines. So you, obviously for our audience listening internationally, you have to, listen, have to look up your own national guidelines. But this is Australian. For Australia. Um, okay. So the screening procedures vary depending on the at-risk population yes okay so for we'll start off with people who are average or slightly at a higher risk of um a slightly high risk of uh of getting breast cancer the very first step is to raise the breath uh awareness and so that they can uh, so females can inspect and look and feel their own breasts and be aware of reporting unusual symptoms yeah so so that the, the people are alert of, like, you know... What a out. normal breast should be, and if you have a lump, you know, what is it? Interesting, <clears> though, <throat> this approach, the so breast awareness is different to breast self-examination. Oh, and I think so? that... Yeah, so breast self-examination yeah. is where you teach a patient how to perform breast exam. This is just being aware of what uh, what their breasts should look like and should feel like yeah. and to report any abnormalities. Breast self-examination is not really supported by evidence. So it okay. hasn't been shown to be of much utility in terms of um, early detection. Hmm. 
being aware of what your normal breast should look like and being aware of some of those signs and symptoms are, have much more evidence supporting their use. Mm. What about uh, mammography? What's that all about? So mammography essentially is using the special device to x-ray the breast tissue mm. and then pick up on any abnormal changes in yeah. the breast, right? And so this is, um, in Australia, it's prescribed every two years from the age 50 onwards to 69 years old as a screening tool. And uh, as I mentioned, this is only for the average to slightly higher risk yes. group. Um so this accounts for actually this particular population of women account for about ninety five percent of women. Absolutely right. And yeah. so, what happens in moderately increased risks? So moderately, I mean, not so majority of patients. About ninety five percent of women are under the average sort of or slightly elevated risk. In yes. moderately increased risk, so it, that accounts for less than four percent of the um, population of women in Australia. Yep. M- mammography is still the key. So at least every two years. Um, but if you're at really high risk, then um, the annual mammography from the age of forty is recommended if you have a first degree relative that is younger than the age of 50 diagnosed with breast cancer. So if you have a relative that's really young, you start mm. your screening much earlier because yep. of the, I guess, the familial risk of breast cancer. Yep. And obviously, uh, doctors uh, on GPs who are predominantly involved with screening in, uh, should encourage breast awareness as well. Yep. And if you're at a high risk, um, mm. so you have to have regular clinical breast exam so examination by um by a doctor yep um and also um, breast imaging and mri and ultrasound is very important as well and also looking at the ovarian because now we're talking about the BRCA one so you have to be careful with ovarian risk factors as ovarian cancer as well um i don't think is is mri subsidized in australia unfortunately i'm not too familiar with i don't think it is um and that's why it's so uh, unless you're high risk i think they have a Mm. stricter criteria for whether you can undertake MRI. So, and so MRI is only indicated for potentially high-risk patients. But I think overall MRI is a better, mm. is a really good tool for detecting breast cancers. Mm. But it's not subsidized for every mm. breast. It's quite expensive. Yeah, probably. very expensive in Australia. And there's lots of controversy with mammography. Can you maybe explain to our yeah. audience why that so is? So one of the things with it is the density of the breast tissue, as we mentioned um as we mentioned before, usually in general, women, younger women have dense breast tissue, whereas yes. as you grow older, um, the breast tissue is um, replaced by fat. And with the x-rays uh, or the mammography, it works best on non-dense breast tissue. Yeah. So, so remember, fat flows in water, right? Yeah. So fat is uh, much lower, and much, lower it's less radio-opaque than yeah. normal tissue. Mm. And so as you get older the technique becomes much better and better. Whereas, um, so that means that in younger women or women with particularly dense breast tissues, the sensitivity of the screening test actually decreases and suffers mm. as a consequence. Yeah. So you need to use alternative methods to, Absolutely to, right. to find out. Also breast implants as well, apparently they get in the way mm. of um, examining. Can affect yeah, sensitivity and specificity. But mm. I, going back to the controversy as well, I guess the controversy is, is stems from at what age do you start screening, right? True. And that needs to be taken into account in terms of radiation exposure as well, because, you know, you are using x-rays and mm-hmm. ionizing radiation. So mm. the younger you start, yeah, it's it's fantastic. But firstly, your sensitivity might be a bit lower, but you're also expo- exposing all these young female patients to um, additional radiation, that's which might not... Point. Yeah, which yeah. might not be. And so that's where some of the controversy stems from. Someone has, someone out there has to make a very tough decision. Yeah. So in Australia, 50 has been the cutoff. And I think in many other countries, 50 is, is the cutoff as well. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the investigations. We won't talk about treatment because we're going to dedicate a big podcast to it, an episode to it. But let's talk about investigations before we finish. Yeah. So as we mentioned, um, with, with women with 
particularly dense breast tissue, we have to think of other potential uh, potential ways other than mammography to examine the patient. Right. So ultrasound is one of them. And it is particularly useful to differentiate between a, a solid tumor or a cystic tumor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what does MRIs do? I think MRIs, obviously, it's looking at more of the soft tissue. So yeah. it's better at um, it's it's better at detecting a mass. But the problem is mm. we don't really know the type of mass that we have. Okay. Right. So it's sensitivity is really good, yeah. but specificity can be a bit poor or, 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 or less. And then obviously you have other techniques like galactograms and doctograms, and they might be useful for mm-hmm. cells that are growing in the ducts where you inject a dye into the mm-hmm. um, ducts of the breast. And then that illuminates the docs. So if you have any obstruction or blockage in those docs, it can be detected using this um, galactogram technique, which is really neat. I don't think it's done commonly, though, because Mm -hmm. um, females start to get a lot of discharge from nipples and stuff, which is obviously very unpleasant. Um, But it's useful for detecting ductal lesions. I think that's all I want. What about um, fine needle aspirations and other things like that? That's true, yeah. So once you have a lesion, then um, then obviously you have to do either a fine needle aspiration to aspirate, let's say, a cyst or Mm. a... um, um, or a tissue biopsy to actually see what you're dealing with as oh, that's well. That's true, but we're talking about screening at the moment, aren't we? Kind of screening yeah. and some investigation. Yeah. Um, so mm. that's it okay. for for um, today's talk. Guys, um, we'll talk about treatments in our subsequent episode. listening to our common rounds podcast you can find all of our episodes notes selective experiences and much more content on our website so come visit us at the commonrounds.wordpress.com and see you next time